is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. about celebrity deaths and the strange events in Tinseltown and beyond. We are your hosts, Megan Carpenter and Liz Shire. Here are today's headlines. You know, uh... Every once in a while you have to report something that you thought would be the worst thing that could happen and it was going to happen and now it has. Uh, singer Whitney Houston, one of the greatest voices of our generation, CNN has gotten confirmation from a representative, has died. Yes, good morning, George. It happened here at 3.43 yesterday afternoon when a member of Houston's entourage located her body inside this hotel. So far, police and the coroner are refusing to offer details about what may have caused her tragic death. Now, one report says Whitney Houston was found with prescription drugs inside her room here at the Beverly Hilton and that she may have drowned in the bathtub. Whatever happened, the coroner says if an autopsy is performed, it could be a day or two before that's done. Robin? And until then, we just don't know. Cecilia, thank you. We turn now to Bobby Christina, the daughter of Whitney Houston, and Bobby Brown passed away last night. The 22-year-old's death coming six months after she was found unresponsive in a bathtub. Bobby Christina Brown the daughter of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown, pronounced dead five months after being found unresponsive in her Georgia home. In a statement, the Houston family saying, Bobby Christina Brown passed away Sunday, July 26, 2015, surrounded by her family. We've reached the final installment in our Flesh and Blood trilogy, and it makes us so emotional, baby, to reach the end. We'll try to chase the blues away by exploring the ups and downs of a musical icon and her only progeny. Get ready, listeners. This is the story of the deaths of Whitney Houston and Bobby Christina Brown. From Hollywood Productions, this is Flesh. Beverly Hills, California. At approximately 3.30 p.m., paramedics rushed to Suite 434 at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, where a woman is reported to be unconscious, submerged in the bathtub. After resuscitating her, she remained unconscious, and EMTs performed CPR for 25 minutes to no avail. Whitney Houston was pronounced dead at 3.55 p.m. While the cause of death was not immediately known, local police said there were no obvious signs of criminal intent. Over a month later, on March 22, 2012, the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office reported that Houston's death was caused by drowning and the effects of atherosclerotic heart disease and cocaine use. Let's define 
atherosclerotic heart disease. Atherosclerosis is when plaque builds up inside the arteries of your heart. This can ultimately lead to heart attack or stroke. Whitney was only 48, though. Is it normal for someone of that age? Well, there were other contributing factors, but if Whitney smoked or had high blood pressure or cholesterol, this could easily happen. The coroner's report noted mild emphysema as well as the presence of multiple cigarette butts, indicating she likely smoked. And if you've seen Being Bobby Brown, we know that Whitney smoked. The coroner also stated the amount of cocaine found in Houston's body indicated that she used the substance shortly before her death. Toxicology results revealed additional drugs in her system, including Benadryl, Xanax, marijuana, and Flexerol, a muscle relaxer. The manner of death was listed as accidental. So, if it was an accident, do we know if she had a heart attack and slid underwater, or did she OD and slide underwater? So this is interesting. Many people have the misconception that Whitney was in the bathtub and slid underwater. Much like the Britney Spears Every Time music video. Precisely. However, Whitney had several small scald burns on her face, as well as several superficial abrasions on her hands, arms, forehead, and nose. This means she may have fallen into a very freshly drawn bath. Experts believe that consumption of cocaine, perhaps at a level that may have previously been the norm but was not currently her norm, as Whitney's family reported being surprised that drugs were back in the mix, Whitney could have had a seizure or an arrhythmia that resulted in unconsciousness and a fall into the bathtub. A towel, pitcher, and bottle of rubbing alcohol were also in the bathtub, further suggesting those items were knocked in when she fell. When an assistant found Whitney's body in the bathtub, a bloody purge was coming from her nose. An invitation-only memorial service was held for Houston on Saturday, February 18, 2012, at the New Hope Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey. The service was scheduled for two hours, but lasted four. Among those who performed at the funeral were Stevie Wonder, Cece Winans, Alicia Keys, Kim Burrell, and R. Kelly. It all feels so familiar. Hollyweird episode two? Two days before her death, in the very hotel that she died, Houston had interrupted an interview with her protégés Brandy and Monica, as well as her longtime mentor, Clive Davis. Entertainment Tonight caught this on camera, with Houston appearing disheveled, hair partially wet, sunglasses askew, speaking rapidly, and waving for her daughter, Bobby Christina, to give her godfather a kiss on the cheek. The interviewees looked as stunned as anyone would, seeing one of the most gifted voices in music act so strangely. So how did the woman frequently named one of the greatest voices of all time meet such a tragic end? Time to rewind.
Whitney Elizabeth Houston was born on August 9, 1963, to entertainment executive John Russell Houston Jr. and gospel singer Emily Sissy Houston in Newark, New Jersey. Talent was abundant in the family even before Whitney was born. She had first cousins in soul and gospel singers Dionne Warwick and Dee Dee Warwick on her mother's side. Superstar relatives, that will continue to be important in this story. File safe to bookmarks continue. Following in the footsteps of her mother, Whitney grew up singing gospel music in the Baptist church, where she also learned to play piano. Houston spent her teenage years touring nightclubs where her mother, Sissy, was performing, and she would occasionally get on stage and perform with her. In 1977, at the age of 14, she became a backup singer on the Michael Zager band single, Life's a Party. At 15, Houston sang background vocals for Shaka Khan and Lou Rawls. It would later be cited in the documentary, Can I Be Me, that Whitney's mother, Sissy, resented Whitney's success because she had the career that Sissy always wanted. Gag. For a brief period before her commercial success as a recording artist, Whitney was one of the first African-American models to grace the cover of Seventeen magazine in the early 80s. She was also featured in layouts on the pages of Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Young Miss, and appeared in a Canada Dry soft drink TV commercial. In 1983, Jerry Griffith, an A&R representative from Marista Records, saw her performing with her mother in a New York City nightclub and was impressed. He convinced Arista's head executive, Clive Davis, to make time to see Houston perform. Davis was impressed and immediately offered a worldwide recording contract, which Houston signed. Later that year, she made her television debut alongside Davis on The Merv Griffin Show. In speaking of Houston before her performance on the show, Davis compared her to legendary singers Lena Horne and Dionne Warwick and said of Houston, If the mantle is to pass to somebody who's got an incredible range of talent with guts and soul, that would be Whitney Houston, in my opinion. Whitney's debut album, Whitney Houston, was released in 1985, making Houston one of the first African-American artists to make the mainstream talk show circuit, something which was largely unheard of before her success. Following Houston's breakthrough, doors were opened for other African-American women such as Janet Jackson and Anita Baker to find notable success in popular music and on MTV. The album's first single, Saving All My Love, went to number one in the U.S. and the U.K., and she won her first Grammy Award in the Best Female Pop Vocal Performance category for the song. Her second album, Whitney, was released in 1987, which included the number one singles, I Wanna Dance With Somebody Who Loves Me, Didn't We Almost Have It All, So Emotional, and Where Do Broken Hearts Go? The album was produced with John Jellybean Benitez. I'm sorry, what? Yes, you heard that correctly. Jellybean Benitez. Houston became the first woman in music history to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, as well as the first woman to generate four number one singles from one album. Whitney has certified nine times platinum in the U.S., and its biggest hit, I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me, won her a second Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. 
Besides the album's success, 1987 was a great year for Whitney, as she was also named the highest-earning African-American woman, according to Forbes magazine, the eighth-highest-earning entertainer of the year. Houston would go on to release four more albums between 1990 and 2003 before releasing her final album in 2009. Bodyguard was Houston's acting debut and was the second highest grossing film in 1992, making $411 million worldwide. The soundtrack became the best-selling soundtrack of all time, selling more than 45 million copies worldwide. Two songs from the film, Run To You and I Have Nothing, were nominated for Academy Awards for Best Original Song. The movie's most infamous song, I Will Always Love You, was widely popularized from being featured in the film, after first being written by Dolly Parton in 1973. The soundtrack was also nominated for four Grammy Awards, winning three, including Album of the Year, and remains the best-selling soundtrack of all time. Despite the popularity of the music from the film, The Bodyguard was released to middling reviews, with critics commenting on Houston and Kevin Costner's lack of chemistry, with one reviewer referring to the actors in the film as watching two statues attempting to mate. Can we please talk about how Whitney's talent was wasted on this garbage movie? She is the only shining beacon in this cheesy mess. We blame it on Kevin Costner. He owes us one for Waterworld. Throughout the 1980s, Houston was romantically linked to American football star Randall Cunningham and actor Eddie Murphy, but it wasn't until 1989 at the Soul Train Music Awards that her life would change forever when she met New Edition singer Bobby Brown. After a three-year courtship, the two were married on July 18, 1992. On March 4, 1993, Houston gave birth to their daughter, Bobby Christina Brown, who would be the couple's only child. Houston stated during a 1993 interview with Barbara Walters that she had a miscarriage during the filming of The Bodyguard. Bobby and Whitney's contentious marriage was frequently fodder for tabloids and talk shows. Years of reports of drug use, domestic violence, legal battles, and infidelity brought unwanted attention and criticism to their personal lives. This was in no small part due to their reality show, Being Bobby Brown, which aired for one season in 2005. So really, we have Whitney and Bobby to thank for all the table-flipping, screaming, plate-throwing, and backstabbing at charity events that we get to enjoy today on Bravo. While highly rated as one of Bravo's most popular reality shows, critics were horrified at the glimpse into the couple's real lives, including erratic behavior, verbal abuse, and just all-out craziness. It was around this time period when the infamous Crack is Whack Diane Sawyer interview aired as an ABC primetime special. In the interview, Houston was pressed about the many rumors surrounding the superstar, including her alleged substance abuse and troubled marriage. When asked about the ongoing drug rumors, she replied, First of all, let's get one thing straight. Crack is cheap. I made too much money to ever smoke crack. Let's get that straight, okay? We don't do crack. We don't do that. Crack is whack. 
Throwback to Hollywood episode two, in which we may or may not have switched this quote around a little bit to enhance its comedic value, but we would also like to genuinely add that while the quote is funny, Whitney's struggles were not. Houston did, however, admit to using alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, and pills. She also acknowledged that her mother had urged her to seek help regarding her drug use. Houston also denied having an eating disorder and denied that her very thin appearance was connected to drug use. Houston further stated that Bobby Brown had never hit her, but acknowledged that she had hit him. Houston had gained a reputation over the years for erratic behavior that increased towards the end of her life, due in no small part to her admitted drug use and trips to rehab. Indeed, Houston attended rehab in 2004, 2005, and 2011, shortly before her death. Bobby and Whitney officially split in 2007, and two years later, she described Brown in her interview with Oprah as her drug, confirming what many had diagnosed the couple with all along, a combination of drug use and codependency that resulted in a highly tumultuous, even dangerous relationship. of the chaos and glamour of a high-profile Hollywood relationship was Houston and Brown's only child, Bobby Christina. While Bobby Christina was almost permanently in the public eye, little is known about her interests and personality growing up. Family members report Bobby's desire to become a singer like her mother even before her death and can be heard on some of Houston's tracks including My Love Is Your Love. Bobby Christina entered the spotlight again after both of her parents' trips to rehab and subsequent divorce left Bobby Christina in her mother's custody. After Houston completed rehab in 2011, mother and daughter moved to a townhouse in Georgia. Whitney and Bobby Christina were reported to be quote-unquote inseparable by family members, and the two were frequently photographed together in a way that suggested that old habits were not only dying hard, but being transferred from mother to daughter. It was around this time period that family friend Nick Gordon moved into the townhouse with Whitney and Bobby Christina. While Whitney viewed Gordon as a big brother figure to Bobby Christina, in reality, the two had engaged in a romantic relationship, unbeknownst to Houston. At the time, family members reported that Gordon was a support to Bobby Christina after her mother's death. Attitudes changed, however, after Gordon and Bobby Christina announced their engagement only eight months after Houston's death. Family members not only objected to the timing and age difference, Gordon was six years older than Bobby Christina, but also implied that Gordon's motive was about obtaining Whitney Houston's fortune. In accordance with her mother's will, Bobby Christina was the beneficiary of Houston's entire estate, including clothing, jewelry, cars, personal effects, and furniture. The will also provided for Bobby Christina to receive trust fund payments in installments until she reached the age of 30, after which time she was to receive the remainder of Houston's $150 million estate. On January 31, 2015, Bobby Christina was found unconscious, face down in her bathtub by boyfriend Nick Gordon, and was rushed to North Fulton Hospital in Roswell, Georgia. The irony of Bobby Christina also being found in a bathtub is truly awful. After realizing how much her brain function had diminished, doctors put Bobby Christina in a medically induced coma for six months. 
While family members reported that Bobby Christina could blink and move her head, she was virtually unresponsive for the majority of her treatment, despite every effort made by family members and medical staff to improve her condition. In July of 2015, doctors determined that Bobby Christina had global and irreversible brain damage and she was placed in hospice care until she died on July 26, 2015. While Bobby Christina's official cause of death was lumbar pneumonia, relatives had many unanswered questions about how her death almost mirrored her mother's and who could have prevented it. Lab reports stated that after she was discovered in the bathtub, morphine, cocaine, alcohol, and prescription drugs were all found in her system. Family members were convinced that Gordon had given or forced Bobby Christina to take the drugs, while others speculated that Bobby Christina had wanted to kill herself as a result of grieving for her mother. In a deposition for the family's wrongful death suit against Gordon in 2016, two friends of the couple reported that Gordon was highly controlling and that they had witnessed him verbally and physically abusing Bobby Christina, as well as the couple abusing substances together. The Houston side of the family still remains skeptical of Gordon's motives and involvement in Bobby Christina's death, largely due in part to his claim that he and Bobby Christina got married in 2014, which turned out to be false after the family lawyer could find no documentation or records regarding the marriage. Even more suspicious, Gordon is reported to have withdrawn $11,000 out of Bobby Christina's bank account just two days after she was found unconscious. While Gordon lost the wrongful death suit and the family has been awarded damages, few facts, if any, came forward during legal proceedings, leaving many to wonder what exactly happened in the Georgia townhouse. It's time for Hollyweird Post-Mortem. I think we should just have a conversation here. Okay. Why do you like Whitney Houston? I always reference, um, sometimes I watch it when I feel sad. Yes, I feel sad. We all feel sad sometimes. <laughs> when I need to pick me up, I will watch the 1991 Super Bowl performance of Whitney Houston Aww. singing. I didn't know that about you, Liz. Oh my god. You know why? It well sometimes it honestly brings tears to my eyes sometimes because she's so she looks so happy. She looks so happy to be singing. She makes it look so easy. it early in her career it's like she's uh, like walking and chewing gum at the same time I don't know how to describe it she's just so effortlessly good and she truly looks like she's getting joy from it 
And mesmerizing, mesmerizing because of that. Yes. Yeah. Like, and her voice is amazing. And it's, Incredible. And it's not like we were just discussing um, a diva who shall remain nameless, <laughs> whose voice is no longer what it used to be. Or people who have a certain style of singing and they kind of get by on the style, but they're not that great of a technical singer. Like, she was an amazing technical singer. Like, she yeah. grew up... Naturally. Yes. And she grew up, like, in a musical family learning gospel music. Like, she had an amazing voice. She just yeah. had a gift. Some people have gifts. Right. She had a gift. I love Whitney because some of my earliest memories are riding in the car with my mom, listening on cassette to the Bodyguard soundtrack. <laughs> so sweet. So. And so 1993. <laughs> that's so, that's such a 90s thing. Yeah. That soundtrack is amazing. She made that movie. Yeah. I feel like whatever she touched, like, turned to gold. For a period of time, yeah. For a period of time. Correct. And I do think that she, like I said before, you know, we've done an episode on Kurt Cobain. People wanted to praise his musical talent. And, like, again, there are people who have, like, appeal. But she really just had stardom. So do you think her peak moment was that Super Bowl performance? No. I think her peak, I honestly think her peak was, like, the bodyguard yeah yeah right when the drugs allegations started coming to uh-huh. light like the early 90s when she had right. had so much success and kind of before anything came out right when she married bobby you think yeah and then it went down yeah. from there i think the super bowl performance was on its way up to the, right to her peak i agree um so her rendition of the national anthem was critically acclaimed and is considered the benchmark for singers Rolling Stone commented that her singing stirs such strong patriotism, unforgettable. The performance was ranked number one on the 25 most memorable music moments in NFL history. So those are your notes. And when I read those notes, I kind of just like eyeballed it. And I thought it was ranked number one in NFL history. And I was like, damn, Whitney. I was like over like everything in the nfl over deflate over the eagles being world champions yeah gay birds um yeah also like fergie take notes please oh please like if we want to talk about the bottom can you insert a clip here of fergie's rendition if i can stomach it yeah i can for the So we talked about that. We still think that that was a a part of the rise. Do you think the fact that she had such a staggering rise and fall 
is intriguing to people. Yes. Yeah. So elaborate. Part of it is how just how much of a good girl image Whitney had. Growing up in gospel music, she was one of the, f- I think she was the first African-American model to be on the cover of Seventeen magazine. That's correct. She just had like a squeaky clean, like, like in the How Will I Know video, like always the bright colors yeah. and like yeah, the yeah, smile, yeah. like it was never an edge to her. And then to see if you watch, you know, two decades later being Bobby Brown, I mean, who is that person that you're watching? It's honestly a lot like Britney. Our beloved Britney Spears, <laughs> if anybody was <laughs> questioning, how she had this squeaky clean, good girl image, weird sexuality, like virginity stuff based in there, but that she devolved to shaving her head and fucking attacking paparazzi with umbrellas, like to look at the girl who used to sing sometimes in a crop top. Yeah. You know, it's just the stark contrast of, of the behavior and what's going on. Right. Yeah. So she, I mean, her, Whitney, her being Whitney, the good girl image was extreme. Uh-huh. Like, it was, yeah, I mean, that probably a Britney level, probably even more so. I think it's because she was one of the first African-American artists to ever be mainstream as a pop artist. So do you think that she, ah, so this is a good question. <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back. This is a good question. <laughs> so um, the fascination point here is how the mighty fall, right? Absolutely. So... Uh, my notes say chicken or the egg what came first drug problems or career lows do you think that do you think that her label and those in her life kind of uh, probably pressured her to maintain that squeaky clean good girl image and she wasn't that I mean most maybe yeah well because that's she was an adult at that point it's like impossible to maintain yeah and it kind of would explain that if she picked Bobby Brown as a husband. I That's mean, true. He was, that hit part of his image was being a bad boy as a way to, like, rebel. Do you think that more people remember Whitney Houston for her amazing talent or her struggles with addiction and and the tragedies in her life? I have a story. I used to work in a restaurant. One day... We used to listen to music on, like, Pandora radio over, like, the system, and it was down. And one of the cooks came out, and he was like, I want to play my favorite song. And I was like, what is this going to be? <laughs> and he put on, um, I want to dance with somebody. <laughs> and he was, like, this big, tough guy that I would never expect that to be. He was like, but I want, he's like, this is what I want to listen to while we're all, like, setting up. And I actually think that more people remember Whitney for her music and for, like, because it was so positive and it uh-huh. was so, like, bright, squeaky yeah. clean, you know. I, li- I agree with you. I think that more people remember her for her talent and um, they cherish the songs that they love. Uh-huh. Um, but I think everyone that probably listens to this podcast remembers her most for her lows. Bobby! <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. And it's just so, it's... To me, her death is just, like, one of the saddest we've covered, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, well, and and the duo, I mean, her and Bobby, Christina, I think, I mean, that's a, that's awful. Yeah. Like, that is truly devastatingly awful. Um, uh, re- back to regarding Whitney's success, I also think it's sad that, like, 
as her career was probably evenly divided good girl whitney and troubled whitney uh-huh. because i mean she only had oh, let me do some quick math in my head i mean roughly 25 years of being famous before she passed that's and, a long time to be famous i mean it, it sure is but when you think that by the late 90s rumors were swirling about her i uh-huh. mean that's between 10 and 15 years of Sustaining, her battling yeah. that um, stigma or, like, uh, battling those headlines, like, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's rough. Uh-huh. It's not right, but it's okay. I'm gonna make it anyway. Pack your back up and leave. Don't you So let's talk about her and Bobby. So, have you seen pictures from their wedding? No. You have not? Hold on. So, what kind of research, Liz? The word kind. That's the word kind. <laughs> so, I just remember seeing Whitney in an interview one time, and she had, like, this elaborate... Oh, my gosh, yes. The headdress. Okay, the I elaborate have, I have, I have. headdress, yeah. yes. And I'll just never forget. She said they sewed that onto her head. Oh, like, to her wig? I don't... Like, I, as a wig? Yeah, perhaps. But, like, there was no taking that off. Isn't that a lot? I mean, I guess at a certain point when you're used to, like, costume and makeup and, like, wardrobe. That's true. Sewing something on your head in your wedding day is not that big of a deal. That's true. It's a lot for me. It probably was not a lot for the legendary Whitney Houston. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if what Bobby Brown said is true, they were both high on their wedding day anyway. So, explain. So, Bobby, there's been, um, before Whitney's death and after, there's kind of always, we talked about chicken or the egg with fame and drug use, but chicken or the egg with Bobby and Whitney. Who started what? Bobby has claimed, posthumously, that Whitney brought drugs to the relationship, which for so many people is hard to believe because she's... She was, like, squeaky clean before they got yes. together. Mm-hmm. and he was the bad boy. And he tells a story about how he saw her on their wedding day before she walked down the aisle, and she was bent over a dresser snorting coke, and she was like, you want some? And he was, like, shocked. And it's like, I really, I mean, we all kind of find that story hard to believe. Correct. But? But she's not here to dispute it. Exactly. So that's also kind of shitty of him to be talking about that. Yeah. And then he didn't necessarily think whatever we were listening to, the report kind of made it seem like, oh, he was trying to blame her. He was really more saying, like, we all make our own choices, Mm -hmm. which is true. Do you think they had a, I feel like they had a very us against the world mentality about their relationship? In a way, but then there was, like, the domestic violence stuff and, like, she admitted that he hit her multiple times I mean, their relationship on being Bobby Brown is not, I would not call it harmonious. I would also not call it healthy. It's just me, it's y'all. Just me, y'all. So let's talk about that. Okay. In one of our recent episodes about Anna Nicole Smith, we talked about 
Well, so the Anna Nicole show came out in 2002, and this one was 2003-ish? Yes. Okay, so... that. We talked about how the Anna Nicole show probably would never have gotten greenlit today. Absolutely not. Do you think that being Bobby Brown would have? No. Because they're obviously, like, high on camera? Yes. Okay. Actually, I don't know. Because I'm thinking around... So, being Bobby Brown, as we said, really brought Bravo to going from showing operas at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because that's what Bravo used to be. And, okay. like, <laughs> random, like, showings of the Prince of Tides to what we know today, which is an entire subculture led by, you know, the one and only Andy Cohen about women over 40 throwing wine at each other at charity events. And... I don't really know. Some of the stuff that goes on in Housewives is dark as hell. Yeah. And yeah, the behavior is, true. like, ridiculous. Or, like, Vanderpump Rules. Do you watch Vanderpump Rules? No. Those people aren't all but actively doing drugs on camera. So, like, that, I mean, that happens yeah. on Bravo today. That's true. I kind of feel like, like, it might have, like, it might have, like, if it were, if it were today, like, they might still show that. Yeah. But then how is that different from Anna Nicole? I almost feel like Bobby and Whitney were in it together, uh-huh. so there was almost something less lonely about it. Uh-huh. Like I feel like Anna was super alone on that show and being manipulated by Larry. Yeah, yeah, and the it was lawyer like and Larry Burkhead. I mean, and it was like everyone laughing at at Anna. And don't get me wrong, everyone laughed at Whitney and Bobby, but I feel like. Um, they at least had company within what they did. Yeah, and it was more about their relationship. And while they, with the end, they'd always kind of been because they were so famous. Like she was not as famous as they were, and they had always been known, you know, for mm-hmm. just having diva behavior. Yeah, and that is also a lot of what goes on at being Bobby Brown. Whereas like Anna Nicole is high, like you can tell she's high. Right. Well, think of like, think of like Saturday Night Live and like. Uh, my Rudolph would always be Whitney. Bye-bye! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow, Whitney! I've been such a fan of yours ever since you got your big break on that reality show, Being Bobby Brown. I got no love for Bobby B. Is he here? Bobby B? Billy Ray? Bobby B? Billy B? Bobby Ray? Billy B? Boopity boop? Bunny rate? Kakakan! How will I know? Don't do drugs! Please! Don't do it! But if you do do it, do it! Do it! Do it! Yes, that is Now, Miley Cyrus, you gotta promise me you're gonna stay off that crack rock! No, no, Whitney, Whitney, she was just using marijuana. What? That's it? Just an itty bitty bit of weed? Weed's not a drug. I'm on medicinal weed now to come off the drugs. I put weed in my cereal this morning. I smoke weed just to go to Target. So many colors at Target, Miley Cyrus. Shoop. All right. But, like, that... (laughs) That impression, like, um, persisted until shortly before Whitney died. Like, and that wasn't that long ago. I think I'm still doing it now. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that she kind of had a reputation for that behavior. Yeah. That was, I think maybe people were more willing to accept it was part of who she was as opposed to, like, a change. Whereas Anna Nicole, like, 
never had a reputation for being a Nobel Peace Prize winner, but, like, her behavior was so obviously wrong. So do you think that they were codependent in their drug use and outside of their drug use? Yes. Yes, it was a codependent. Listen to me. Diagnosing. You do you, Liz. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. Um, People aren't together for that long and do those kinds of things to each other and then, you know. So how come then, why do you think it is that after they broke up, which was around 2007, Uh like, from what we can tell, Bobby kind of got it together Uh like he moved on got remarried got clean and sober yeah and then why couldn't whitney what what's the difference well i have a theory tell me it's a dark one um and part of it is professional and part of it is anecdotal but the accusations in the documentary um whitney were that whitney's um her friend, her, like, the woman that they always thought that she was in a lesbian relationship with, her, like, best friend. Robin Crawford? Is yes, that her? Yes, Robin. Um, she apparently told someone that Whitney told her that Whitney had been sexually abused by Dee Dee Warwick, and her brother Gary had been sexually abused as well when they were kids. So explain how Dee Dee Warwick is related to that family. Dee Dee Warwick is related to her Whitney's mother, Sissy. Correct. They're cousins. Right. Um, Dee Dee Warwick is Dion Warwick's sister. Um, and that was what she told Robin. And really isn't much known about who else she told, but that information is out there. And Whitney's, Houston was, Whitney's uh, family, the Houston side of the family, was very angry when the documentary came out. Sissy said it was evil. It wasn't true, but there is a lot of research, and I've seen it in my professional career, about female addicts who have a history of childhood sexual abuse, and then it goes unaddressed. It's And, and it happens. One in four women are sexually assaulted in the United States every year overall, um, and the same thing happens for childhood sexual abuse, and especially in the time period that Whitney grew up, in the 50s and 60s that kind of stuff you didn't really talk about and I feel as though her behavior her drug use suggests even her her quest for fame and her like motivation to be a star and to be an artist can come from the the unaddressed trauma that she had in her early childhood and to sustain addiction for so long really implies that there's something much deeper going on because it ruined her life she she died from from drugs it ruined her life yes so why would you hang on to something that's ruining your life if there wasn't something worse lying under the surface that getting high and almost losing and losing your kid at one point losing your career is better than what's going on under the surface that's really deep and it's (laughs) it is but it's (laughs) it's i mean it's just awful that if this stuff is true it's you know despicable but i just think it's so awful that it came out after her passing like that she had no can i mean i guess she wouldn't have had control 
if that information got out regardless, but the fact that she's not here to weigh in. Mm-hmm. It's just sad. And that it's kind of further victim. Well, that's always another issue is further victimization of someone who's already been victimized is talking about things or s- telling their story when it's their story to tell. That is all I'm taking with me. So goodbye. Please don't cry. We both know I'm not what you, you need And I will always love you I will always love you If she... Why do you think that was? Do you think if she had just been able to admit she had a problem, go to rehab? Well, she did go to rehab three times, Uh but I don't know. I just, I wonder if the lying perpetuated the problem or if the problem perpetuated the lying. Well, both because that's part of addiction. Because when you're addicted to something, you need more and more of it. It starts to control your life. Lying is a part of that, you know, and I think she functioned for a really long time. Because she was really famous, and I think she did truly love music and truly want her career. Yeah. And I think the denial part of it is, I really do feel as though she was a representative of the black and African-American community as an artist, and that she was a trailblazer for so Uh many female African-American artists, as well as male. And, like, like Brandy, like, she was her protege, like, would Brandy have, you know, the career she has without Whitney? And I think it was a lot of pressure, you know, to be represented because it sucks when people get put in that position. You represent a whole subsection of people. Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of it. I think it's the labels part of it. I think there, at the time, there was still, like, shame associated with drug use and famous people, whereas now we have, like, SoundCloud rappers called Lil Xan who, like, (laughs) literally brag about doing Xanax. Like, I think it's a different culture around substances. That's true. Um, I think the image of Whitney denying everything that is most prevalent in my brain is that Diane Sawyer interview. Oh my God. The shade. <laughs> the shade on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Like, I Do wish... Do you know Diane? Do you know? Exactly. But Do you really know? Did you really know? No, you know. Thank you. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I just like Diane Sawyer's face when she would ask her a question. Is just like, huh? <laughs> like, she would just look at Whitney like, I know you're not telling me the right, truth. Right, right. Yeah. And the way she spins it, the way Whitney like really like confidently spins it. For those of you um, who can't picture this, this is the interview where the whole crack is cheap exchange mm-hmm. took place, uh, which is... I mean, it's it is iconic. Absolutely. Sorry, it's iconic. And you know, so part of it is the phrase "crack is whack," which I did read is from a Keith Haring mural, I believe, in the Bronx. So it wasn't a phrase that Whitney originated, but she clearly <laughs> knew about it, right? And you know, "crack is whack." But then it was kind of like her. God, if memes had been a thing back then, 
like oh yeah oh my god yeah the, the two of them that whole that would be a meme for sure yeah but in that statement in the quote and we'll play it for you all she says you know we don't do crack yes implying number one she she and bobby are doing stuff because she's talking about her and bobby uh-huh that they're doing stuff together but it's not crack right <laughs> we don't do crack we don't do crack crack is cheap i make too much money to smoke crack and also kind of implies like there's a hierarchy of like well i don't do this and people sometimes get that way about like oh i've never oh that's true so do you think she felt that what she was doing uh was like highbrow drugs highbrow or like party or like that she had control over it oh okay because there's drugs have drugs have like a a class too that's true i mean i feel like there's more of a stigma over crack because at the time with president clinton and mandatory minimums there was a higher uh like jail sentence for crack possession and crack distribution whereas cocaine was much lighter and everybody knew that cocaine was mainly used by white people and crack was mainly used by black people right and that it was a racist yeah standard and i think there was like a there's like a she was implying her wealth by associating herself with cocaine i make too much money to smoke crack i do coke instead like that's the subtext and that also like i'm not you're not gonna look down on me you're not gonna tell me like you're not gonna put me in a category with other people who do that kind of stuff because i'm not like that i'm different right so it was like a defense mechanism sort of yes and also people who just justify that addiction all the time like oh well i don't i don't shoot heroin i just snort it Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes with in um, interviews after when he died that Bobby had given, he said that, you know, he and Whitney would lock themselves in one area of the house and Bobby Christina would be uh, with nannies mm-hmm. and that they would just get high, get high, get high. But he would never let her being Bobby Christina see either of them like that. So kind of like because we are doing it away from you it's like they're like just the addict behavior of justifying justifying yes, justifying yes, exactly oh we don't do it in front of our kids yeah. no but your kids can still eventually figure out what's going on and then she did because bobby christine ended up having addiction issues as well yeah so i think that the whitney tragedy is obviously multiplied because her young daughter mm-hmm. died um whitney's only direct descendant, Mm -hmm. but also died in an echoing fashion Mm -hmm. um, that's just so tragic. Uh, It's it's actually crazy. Like, it's so ironic and poetic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you can't write this shit. You really can't. So, just some questions about the whole Bobby Christina situation. Mm -hmm. So... I know that she was an adult, mm-hmm. but like, who wasn't? Who was watching this girl? Is kind of my main thought about this whole thing. I mean, I guess she had had a strained relationship with her father. There are disputes about whether they were speaking or not speaking when all of this went down. Mm. She had her mother's estate well a portion of it it was one of those deals where she'd get more and more as she aged and she didn't reach through mm-hmm. all the ages but um i i wonder if the death of her mother spurred this drug problem with her or if she had it before whitney passed what do you think 
I think it was a little bit of both because there's reports of and like documentation of Whitney and Bobby Christina like partying together before Bobby Christina was 21. Um, and there's absolutely no way she did not witness her mother's addiction at some point, at least be aware of it. I mean, she got removed from Whitney's custody when she went to rehab. Like, that right. was known. So do you think that part of Bobby Christina's demons were that her parents had drug problems? That it's a, that it's partially a learned behavior, that it's partially a genetic, you know, because I believe in both. So if so, like if she were able to say drugs have ruined my parents' lives uh-huh. or affected them greatly in a negative way, in uh-huh. the very least, um, she witnessed the rehabs, she herself was pulled away from her parents, what would, why wouldn't she say, I'm never going near drugs? Like, what, if you've had all those negative experiences with drugs, like, how do you get hooked on that then? Well, I'm sure people are asking themselves in rehabs across yeah. <laughs> the world. Um, I think partially, so this is pure speculation. Obviously, no one's here to defend themselves. And this is a podcast about talking about people who have died. But... It seems like, you know, partying was a way for Whitney and and Bobby Christina to be close. Like, when she moved down to Atlanta, it was just the two of them. Like, them, again, a them against the world kind of thing. Like, after she and Bobby got divorced. And I think that they were both partying. I think she, like, probably essentially normalized the behavior for Bobby Christina. Yeah. And then once her mom died, like a way to cope with it. Right. And again, if you've watched a parent use substances as a way to cope your entire life, it makes sense, you know? That's true. So she, she probably, while recognizing the negative stuffs, stuffs, (laughs) plural, uh, (laughs) (laughs) while recognizing the negative stuff about her parents' addictions, she saw it as a normal way of living. Mm-hmm. I see. And it's kind of like, you know, it takes aware. I think about um, Francis, Francis Cobain and Courtney Love. And Francis is actually sober. And that is most likely a result of watching her parents' struggles with addiction. But it takes an awareness. And Francis is older, and Francis has had, like, more time to think about it. Well, it takes an awareness to kind of realize, like, how you're alike and how you're not like your parents. Here's the family therapist talking. And how you're, you know, what behavior is learned and what can you change and what is a part of you and, you know, what you really can control. And sometimes, like, stuff, it just takes a really long time to, like, practice that out of you. Yeah. And she probably already had a bit of a problem in some way before Whitney had passed. So. Yeah. If she saw it as a coping mechanism while her parents were here, she probably put that into practice when her mom passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was confused about this whole Nick Gordon thing. So Nick Gordon, um, was taken in by Whitney, uh, when he was 12 years old. So Mm -hmm. he's six years older than Bobby Christina. So she has known him since she was a young child. Yes. He was like a friend of the family. Right. And she knew him in the capacity probably like a brother because mm-hmm. Whitney raised them both then. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies when they became romantically involved. 
And this was after Whitney's passing that they became romantically involved. Right. So I kind of wondered, like, was that strategic on anyone's part? Like, I wonder if if Whitney had been here, if she would have been like, hell no, you two will not be together. Yeah. Well, I I definitely think that Bobby Christina was vulnerable because she was young, because her mother had just died, and because she, think, was struggling with some addiction stuff from all reports. Um, I do think Nick Gordon, I don't want to go so far as to call him a predator, but really tried to manipulate the situation for his benefit. Yes. I agree. I just feel like if he'd known her for so long, like, and as a little sister, like, that's pure evil to, like, manipulate someone that way then. Yeah. Like, that's awful. Maybe not evil, but just really, really selfish. So then Bobby Brown blames Nick Gordon for Bobby Christina's death. Yes. And the Bobby Christina estate sued Nick Gordon in civil court for, like, wrongful death. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was found guilty or legally responsible for her death. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was because he never showed up. So it was a default judgment. Right. So, like, that's the headline that gets printed. He's responsible, but, like, he didn't show up to court and they had to do it that way. Right. But, so, people have said that he regularly physically abused Bobby Christina. um, And the estate claimed in the lawsuit that what happened was he gave her a toxic cocktail that caused her to pass out. And when she passed out, he placed her face down in the bathtub, mm-hmm. which is awful, um, if if true. And she was found with bruises on her chest, which he claimed were a result of CPR. But there were other stories um, that he, you know, beat her so badly. There was an instant in which he knocked a tooth out. Um, I mean, some really awful, despicable things, which just... It just blows my mind because these two grew up as brother and sister mm-hmm. and look what look what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder what what parts money, tragedy and drugs played there. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you believe. So this kind of goes back again to what Bobby was saying about Whitney, like, you know, she made her own choices. She made her own decisions. Was did Bobby Christina was Bobby Christina upset by the abuse, upset by her mother's death? not in a right state of mind, took too much of something, w- got in the bathtub and drowned, just like her mom did. Or... Are you saying that she did it herself to, like, emulate her mom? Or that she put herself in the position to have a similar situation happen? She put herself okay. in a similar situation. Um, or... Did he place her there? Or did she take the drugs and overdose and he panicked and then... Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say, I think he was involved some way, shape, or form, whether he intentionally... Or was, like, negligent. Like, yeah, there yeah, was something yeah. you could have done and you didn't do it. Yeah, like, he probably... Like, if she was ODing, he probably knew she was ODing in the bathroom. Like, that kind of right. thing. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he was involved somehow. Um, but to say whether it was, you know, his intent on how things ended up, or mm-hmm. he was negligent and that's how it ended up, I couldn't say. 
So Whitney's death was pushed to the forefront of media again this year because of Kanye West and Pusha T. Pusha T had a new album, Daytona, coming out, and when the artwork for the cover art was released, it was a photograph of Whitney Houston's bathroom circa 2006. Um, And in the photograph, it's uh, like the countertop of the bathroom sink, Mm -hmm. and you see... I mean, it's just like a disaster. You it see, looks like homeless beauty queens have been squatting there. Precisely. Um, there are, like, packs of cigarettes. There's, and there's, like, stuff in the sink. Like, trash in the sink. It looks like, like, a screwdriver. Uh, like, a lot of, like, wrap, like, foil wraps. Like, basically, it's, like, a drug den. Yes. Um, and a lot of people thought this was in poor taste. Like, why, why, why use this as your cover art, basically? Well, why? Kanye said of the photo, this is what people need to see to go along with the music. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not a lot of stuff yeah. that Kanye says makes sense. <laughs> I read this article and it was like, nine, surprise, nine. First of all, you can't come up with ten. <laughs> nine. Who green like this? <laughs> nine surprising facts about... <laughs> Whitney's autopsy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like Whitney's life. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, the one that shocked me the most, she had dentures. Yeah. My face, the expression on my face can be described as, but what? Yeah. Speechless. <sighs> yes. So, she had dentures, which is so sad because, like, that's so, to pivot a little bit. That squeaky clean girl, that yeah. her smile was so bright and yeah. so big to think that now she has dentures and you know why she has dentures. Yes. Because she smoked a lot of shit. Yeah. That will rot your teeth out. Yeah. So I thought that that was surprising and also upsetting. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. God, I can't. <laughs> and then before we end... Did you know that Whitney dated Ray J? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. So Whitney and Ray J dated for a while. Define a while. Uh, about two years after oh my her God. divorce from Bobby. And I just feel like I feel weird about this because like Brandy was her protege and Ray J and Brandy are brother and sister. Ew. Like how did that go down? But also, when Ray J was on Celebrity Big Brother UK, or whatever <laughs> the English version is, he was having a conversation with someone and, and said uh-huh. that, so he blamed himself for her death. When And I was kind of like, I roll exactly what you did. Like, you're just trying to crank up these Big Brother ratings, Ray J. Right, that's like Omarosa whispering about Trump. Yeah. So anyway. Well, I think we covered a lot. The gamut. And if you feel like we missed something, um, please contact us. Yeah, let us know. Hollywoodpodcast at gmail.com. Um, follow us on Facebook or Instagram. DM us your suggestions. You've already gotten some for 2019, which has been amazing. Um, and let us know what we got right. If we got anything wrong, there's things we left out, let us know. Bye-bye. 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 It's time to shout out some sources who aided in the research of this episode. MedicineNet had a really great article about atherosclerosis and how it pertained to Whitney. 
MTV put together a timeline of Whitney's struggle with drugs. Thanks to AP News, ABC News, and CNN for articles. And as always, bravo. Want to let us know what you think about Whitney, Bobby Christina, this podcast, or let us know which celebrity death you can't get over? Email your feedback to hollywoodpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Podcast to get clues about future episodes and photos that go along with the stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hollyweird. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please join us next time when we endure more misery, miss, and discuss the suicide of a 90s musician. Or was it? <laughs>